the Apostle John saw Jesus in glorified form and it terrified him. <laughs> but we sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Who is Jesus? At various times in history, the church has looked at Jesus in different ways, usually, usually relating to our needs at the time. What a friend we have in Jesus, or a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we, in our own strength, confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same. For he must win the battle. Well, Martin Luther for us. <laughs> Lord Sabaoth, Sabaoth is armies or hosts. So the Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age, the same. Is this Jesus? The great conqueror of Satan? Well, of course. They both are. They all are all these images, these pictures of Jesus. As I said, you've been very patient with me for about a year now as we worked our way through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So as we mentioned, John seeing Jesus in the seven letters to seven churches that Jesus dictated to John, I thought I should give you a break from our long study and look more closely at this amazing event, the last chapter in the New Testament history, so we can get a more complete picture of who Jesus is. There was a time when Jesus was a baby in a manger, a time when he was a carpenter, for more than three years, he was a rabbi. There was a time when he was the suffering servant of the fathers. Sometime after Paul was martyred, which happened five or six years after he wrote a letter to the Ephesian church, the Apostle John came there, Ephesus. He was there for some 20 years when, as an old man, he was deported to a prison colony on the desolate island of Patmos. There he gave us a new picture of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Some of the apostles of Jesus mention heavenly visions, Peter and Paul and, of course, John. But only John was told to write those visions out for us. In fact, the first of seven blessings, the attitudes, in the Revelation is concerned with that. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Whether you are reading it aloud, as 
as I am now, or hearing and keeping it, which I trust you are and will, you are blessed. Now that's a pretty good deal. But before I read some more, let's get a layout of this work, the revelation of Jesus Christ. John's next task, introductions. He will introduce the Father and the Spirit, but primarily he will introduce the Christ. Not Jesus as a baby, that's already been done. Not as a laborer or a rabbi, not even as the crucified Christ. John, in words inspired by the Holy Spirit, goes beyond the death, burial, and even resurrection of Jesus to show us Christ glorified. Then he acts as secretary to Jesus, <laughs> writing out letters to seven churches. It is those letters with which we will concern ourselves over the next few weeks. After this, starting in chapter 4, is the most fantastic representation of things that must soon take place. Now, soon in God's economy means today. This week, or this century, or this millennium, or maybe in the next million years. Time just doesn't mean a lot to God like that. Soon. What will happen soon, these representations, I understand, to be about the end times, which will start with a seven-year tribulation. Actually, only the second half has the extreme tribulation. That will be followed by a thousand years where Christ reigns on the earth with his saints, that would be us, and then a great cataclysmic end, after which God makes a brand new heaven and earth where he will live with his saints. We're not going to explore that section. Today, we're only going to look at the introduction of the glorified Christ by John and Jesus' introduction of himself in each letter. Because we want to be introduced to this perfect man of God's own choosing. We want to know who Jesus is now. And how we will see him then. Jesus Christ glorified. So we'll read John's fantastic introduction then we'll come back and look at some parts that can be <clears throat> more difficult to understand. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, he who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow, 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Wow! Now that is an introduction. (laughs) An introduction to the glorious, glorified Christ. I mean, eyes like flames, a face that glowed like the sun. Wow. And by the way, he's from the Mideast. He knows what a bright sun is like. (laughs) We don't normally picture Jesus that way. We're used to the gospel picture of him, an earthbound Messiah, not a glorified Christ. And John really was in the same boat. He saw Jesus only a few times after his resurrection, and probably his best memory was that time when he sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper. Just hours before Jesus was crucified, John sat comfortably leaning on him, literally. But that was when Jesus was so obviously human. Now John sees the person of the Son in his human nature, but in his full glory. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, And the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I don't know about you, but this takes my breath away. (laughs) What a tremendous vision. Let's go back and we'll pick up some details. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Obviously, there were more than seven churches in Roman Asia Minor. These seven were chosen by Christ for these messages. Seven is a complete or a perfect number. So these seven churches represent all the church throughout the ages. But in what way? Everyone agrees that the good and the problems of these churches have existed in every age. Obviously all were there at the beginning. Some hold that the balance of churches in each sequential part of the church age tend to be like Ephesus and Smyrna and all the way to Laodicea. And we have to admit, the early church did seem to struggle as the Ephesian church is here described. And and now, well, a lukewarm church seems to be almost the norm. Not here, of course. It's other churches. (laughs) I used to hold this position. Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I think we need to examine ourselves as a church body for each of these issues and see where we lie. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Him who is and who was and who is to come is universally understood to be God the Father. The natural next thing to expect would be a description of the Holy Spirit. But John writes the seven spirits who are before his throne. Well, seven is a complete, a perfect number. 
So that could just simply mean the perfect, the complete Holy Spirit. Some hold, though, that this means angels, ones for each church. Uh, it was widely thought that every church as a group had a guardian angel, just as did every person they believed. And some think that's what's meant here. I think they're wrong. Uh, most commentators, and I agree, think this is a Trinitarian reference. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And especially when you consider what comes next. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen literally means, so be it. John's a little excited. <laughs> Jesus, when he walked this earth, was faithful to witness of the Father. He was the first to rise from the dead, and he is the preeminent firstborn of the dead, which is why Jesus is the ruler of all kings on the earth. Whether Domitian, who was persecuting Christians when John wrote, or any anti-God political powerhouse now. And you get the feeling that John just can't stop. <laughs> he loves us and freed us from the prison of our own sins by his death on the cross. And oh, by the way, he rules every ruler on earth. If he does, it's no big deal for him to make us a kingdom, to make us priests, every last one of us. For what purpose? To give glory to God the Father. So be it. Amen. <laughs> but you may be asking, how does this come about? Give us something to hold on to, John. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. There will be a day when Jesus will come with the clouds. And nobody will miss it the second time around. <laughs> Those who pierced him, Jews, Romans, doesn't matter. Everyone who is not in his kingdom will wail when they see him. Because they'll know it's reckoning time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Remember this description the Father gives of himself. Well, now John starts to tell all he experienced. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. The description of Jesus and all that he does is what we're interested in here. So first, John says, his voice rings out loud and clear, like a trumpet calling the troops to battle. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands. Jesus said, those are the seven churches. We'll get to that more as we go along. Now let's get to Jesus. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Son of man was Jesus' favorite term for himself. He took it from the prophet Daniel in 7.13 who wrote like a son of man about the Messiah 600 years before he entered history. Okay. Daniel said he would rule all peoples, nations, and languages. 700 years from the time Daniel wrote to the time John wrote. And they correspond with amazing accuracy. you got to love the scriptures. Anyway, the robe and sash, this speaks of the priesthood of Jesus and his power. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Now we're starting to sound like apocalyptic literature. <laughs> Symbols are the thing. We should stop. Did you notice that John started with a description of the glorified Christ that was most like us and has moved ever towards that which is unique about the Son? Wonderful, wonderful precision here. Just You could study it for years. It's beautiful. Symbols. Now listen to this from Daniel. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. White stands for both purity and age. Age to a Middle Eastern person, uh, well, indeed, most non-Western cultures, equates to great honor. Age equates to honor. And, of course, in the case of God, it speaks to his eternality. Uh, the fact that he has no beginning, he has always existed. He is that which is eternal, the only eternal one. How do you indicate in symbols that what God says is overwhelmingly true, overwhelmingly authoritative. How about, His voice was like the roar of many waters, like standing at the base of Niagara Falls. <laughs> Absolute, overwhelming power and authority and truth. We'll get to those other symbols in a moment. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When Jesus was on the earth, there was a moment when the disciples first understood that he was the Christ. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Try to put yourself into the mind of John. He saw Christ transfigured when he was on earth. It must have been incredible. It must have changed his life. Nothing could ever possibly look the same again. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And now, 60 years later, the glory of Christ is even greater. For now, he is ready to judge the living and the dead. Ultimate, absolute power is in the hands of the ultimate one. No wonder, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The first and the last. Hmm, what does that remind us of? Maybe Alpha and Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet? There's no hiding who the person of the Son is now. 
This is God in glorified human form. Fear not. How? <laughs> I am the first and the last and the living one. But also, I die. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Because he gave his life, because he died and is alive forevermore, because he is the living one, he has the keys of both death and the grave. And if he has the keys to death and the grave, we can't be locked up in death or the grave. <laughs> Let's remind ourselves of how this works. Dr. Gene Elstan gave a talk called C.S. Lewis and the Question of Man. Afterwards, the very first question and the answer to it amazed me. Do you think we are a nation that either does not know how to love or is so terrified of it that we just don't do it anymore? Because to love means we have to die to ourselves constantly. Her answer, love is a complicated thing and involves a certain capacity to give of oneself. I think that the last four decades in American life, that notion itself has come into ill repute because we seem to have a kind of zero-sum understanding of the self itself. That is, if I give some of myself to another, it is a loss for me. If I give 10%, I'm only 90% left for who I am. There is an equation of self-giving with self-abnegation that constrains in palpable ways our capacity to give of ourselves and to receive at the same time. Because our abstract view is that we will get nothing. We will just give, 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 and get nothing out of it. Sad. Sad. The reality of life perceived in America. But what is the reality of love? How did Jesus get the keys of death and the grave? By giving himself away so completely that all that was left was death and the grave. Love is all about giving your life away. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You know what Jesus said immediately before that statement? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Wow. The glorified Christ is the glorified Christ because he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love is all about giving your life away as Christ gave his away. And when you lose your life for his sake, you gain it forever. Isn't there someone we can tell this to? First, though, he explains a little something. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The angels of the seven churches, the word angel simply means messenger, or, well, originally did. It has come to mean a spiritual messenger, a spirit world messenger, we might say. But did it then? 
Well, some think not, that this is just the seven pastors of these churches. There's a whole raft of reasons I think that's wrong. Most theologians think it's wrong. The first is that we have no record of a single pastor in any church of that time. It's fascinating. Most people don't realize that. They all seem to have been a plurality of elders who taught and ruled in the churches. But a closer issue is right here in this text. Jesus calls them stars. That's an interesting symbol. Symbols are everything. Because we know that in the Old Testament, regularly it refers to spirit beings, angels, as stars. So every church then had its own guardian angel. You know, there's a very good chance that this church has an angel. (laughs) A sign to look out for us. In fact, as much protection as this little church has had, I'm, I'm going for two. I think we got a double blessing that there are, in fact, two guardian angels for us. I'm not sure about but it's terrible theology, but that's right. <laughs> and the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches. Don't forget lampstands. That's very important. The first letter is to the very church from which John was torn, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a glorious picture. The stars are held in the hands of Jesus. We are safe in his hand for our angel is held there. And Jesus himself walks with us. All of us. Every true church of his can feel the brush of his garments as he walks among us. And there's more. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. The all-powerful God, the person of the Son, submitted to death which could not hold him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And now we have life. But there's more. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, there will be a day of judgment. You need to understand the urgency. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Fire purifies that which can be made pure. It torments that which cannot be purified. The bronze altar in the temple was for the sacrifice of sin. Christ is the final offer, the final altar for the forgiveness of sin. Christ judges because he was the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, we read this description in what John reported earlier. We read it. Except for one little change. This time, Jesus calls himself the Son of God. Christ judges because he is the Son of God. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus not only holds the stars in his hands, he has the Holy Spirit. We need to remember who he is and then we understand. John has already told us most of what Jesus said in introduction to the first five churches, but these last two bring entirely new thoughts. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, 
who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David. First, we read just a minute ago, He holds the keys to death and the grave. Now He holds the key of David. See, there's this Old Testament reference, Isaiah 22-22, where this guy has the key to David's palace. And because of that, he has access to all the wealth of David. Jesus has access to all the wealth of heaven. And if he opens a door to us, nobody's going to shut it. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh, but then if he closes, if a person wants the blessings of heaven, they are available only through Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Good karma won't get you into heaven. <laughs> Joe Smith doesn't know where heaven is. Muhammad's stuck in Mecca. <laughs> you want heaven? You need Jesus. Until the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. The words of the so be it. <laughs> the one who has the final say. He alone is faithful. He alone is true. The beginning of God's creation. The origin. The first. The greatest. Because the Son of God who created all things himself became a creature. He wrote himself into the story. He became the one who suffered the one who died, who was buried, who rose again, the one who ascended into glory, the one who is now glorious and offers to all who will give their lives to him eternal life, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who is Jesus? Oh, he is the glorified Christ. He was a baby, a carpenter, a rabbi, God's suffering servant. He died and was buried, but the grave could not hold him. And one day he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He is coming again. Will you wail? Or will you celebrate the glorified Christ? Will those you love celebrate the glorified Christ with you? Who will hear this wonderful news from you? We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. 